Hello, and welcome to another episode of What the Hell is Happening? The Graduates of 2020. After a couple weeks off, I'm glad to come back with this week's episode. For this episode, I interviewed Shrey Bhargava, a good friend of mine from Singapore. Shrey was an international student in USC's School of Dramatic Arts and the USC School of Cinematic Arts with a desire to pursue acting. This episode was originally recorded back in the beginning of June, and we talked a lot about Shrey's experiences as an international student as he had to suddenly uproot his life and move back to Singapore, and reflected a lot on how the Black Lives Matter movement has permeated around the world and perpetuated conversations about racial issues in other countries. This conversation was really interesting and really enlightening, and so without any further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shrey Bhargava. First things first, man. Thanks for chatting with me. I'm glad. I'm excited. How are you doing, man? How have you been spending time? I've been all right. I mean, honestly, it was uh, a very sudden <laughs> way to come back home. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. You know? I wasn't expecting to come back to Singapore so quickly. Um, so initially, it was a little strange and difficult, but I've gotten into a rhythm of things. You know, I wake up every day now. I, I'm meditating. I'm doing yoga. I'm, um, I've set up my like own little schedule of, you know, uh, preparing my own work and also spending some time with family and myself. Um, so it's good. It's good now. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like it was it was strange getting into it. But yeah, I mean, nowadays, now that we're graduated, I'm basically working on my reels as an actor. So I'm, you know, updating my reels, um, trying to set up photo shoots for when photo shoots are allowed. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of planning. You're you're an actor, acting school at, S, uh, at SC. <laughs> so like, how did... How is um transitioning to <laughs> acting school online? I know, I know, it was weird. Um, so I was a little luckier than a lot of other kids in the theater school because the the theater class that I was taking this semester was performance for camera. Mm. So most of our theater classes are theater classes, but yeah, this class was specifically on camera work. So for the first half of the semester. We, I mean, we we worked with the camera and we had like one person reading off screen and you were working with that reader and then you'd take adjustments in person and the camera could move with you. So someone would pan the camera and so on and so forth. And so that that was how we would conduct the class. Mm -hmm. But once it went on Zoom, um, we had to make a few adjustments. So like we couldn't do two person scenes, right? Because reading off of Zoom with the lag and... And all of that was a little difficult. And our professor, I mean, he, he's a great professor, but he's pretty old. So like for him, he was like, I, I can't do that. Um, so it was a little difficult. We had to transition completely into monologues. Oh. <laughs> so every week we were just working on monologues. Um, but the cool thing was you could still, it, it kind of still worked in the end because Zoom, you know, it still is a camera you know mm. like <laughs> so you could you can still frame yourself and perform as though it's a camera a little strange at first but but the end result was still positive and it was still mm. useful but i've heard f about friends like you know trying to do shakespeare on zoom oh, or like and like i mean like 
what are you going to do? You know, like, because <laughs> a lot of acting classes were also about the space. Yeah. Um, and, and and setting up the space. So I mean, I remember some of my previous acting classes. I mean, we did like Chekhov, right? Mm. And a lot of Chekhov is in the subtlety of gesture. Um, it's not even to do with the words sometimes, you know, it's about where you look when you say <laughs> some of the words or what you're touching when you're saying some of the words or um, and the space, the the sense of like old Russia, you know, like creating that atmosphere. But what, what can he do over Zoom? So, I mean, some of them, like, I, I feel bad for them. I don't know how they must have done it. But I was lucky because I'm double majoring in cinema media studies and uh, theater. So yeah. my this semester was dedicated to cinema media studies, finishing that up. I had done theater. I finished theater last semester. Right. Um, I just had one performance for camera class left. So I was lucky in that <laughs> sense because everything else could transition online. Yeah. Um, I didn't audition for any plays this semester. So, I mean, a lot of my friends had, like, they got cast in the shows they wanted to do. For a lot of them, it was like their graduation shows you know, considered graduation shows. And so, I mean, and they got big parts finally and they were, you know, ready to go. And then this whole thing hit and everything got canceled. And What sucked for them was they had to still attend rehearsals online for a show that they were never going to do. That's bizarre. <laughs> that sucks. That's just like rubbing right? salt in the wound of like, you're not getting the education and you have to still come as if you're getting it. Yeah, they had to do that. I was blessed in the sense that I... I performed in my final show last semester, so it was Cider House Rules. I did that last semester, and that was a big show. I was I got a big part, and it was it was quite a show to end on, and I was happy. So I wasn't planning on doing any shows this semester anyway. My plan was just to you know get my cinema media studies classes out of the way, do those essays, and the, honestly, I was looking forward to a graduation, yeah, in person, and you know, I mean that 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 was a bummer. But time passed by real fast once you got used to stay at home, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It feels like yesterday <laughs> that we went on indefinite spring break. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's what happened. It was an indefinite <laughs> spring all break. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like our wishes for the four years just came true, bro. It was like, oh, I want man. spring break never to end. Yeah, it's not freaking <laughs> ending anymore. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to me because, like, I don't know, like, Zoom is not art page, for instance, for USC yeah. students and stuff like that, where, you know, there's yeah. so much, there's so much outrage. I'm curious as to your thoughts about that. Yeah, dude, it's like, I mean, we're paying a ton of money to go to that school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just don't, I, I personally don't think like Zoom's going to cut it for theater, like for actors. I mean, what what's the quality of training you're really getting? I mean, yes, performance for camera worked, right? Mm -hmm. To the extent that it trained us for self-tapes, right? Maybe it was a self-taping class more than anything. But other than that class, I don't see how training on Zoom could any way replace actor training in person. I just don't get it. I, I think it... It's a scam if they're trying to say, like, hey, come attend USC, come attend, you know, if you're, if for the incoming freshmen especially, like, yeah, still come on board, still pay the full tuition, and your classes are going to be on Zoom. Like, I think that is, that's a scam. 
they're just trying to get a bunch of people to pay the tuition so the school can continue running. That's my personal thoughts. I honestly don't think that's... I mean, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know what, we're gearing up for the future, you know? This is uh, the future of our art form and all of that. Like, I mean, sure, okay, like, whatever, like, we can experiment and that's fine, but I don't think an educational, like, institute is where, like, these sort of experiments should be done. Mm -hmm. Especially when, like, the students are the ones that are, like, paying so much money to go there and need to get, like, they want to get quality training to be prepared for a world that hopefully will not just be isolated <laughs> remote filming or whatever right like i mean you gotta theater's about performing in front of people <laughs> theater like you know and i honestly believe like an actor that's trained in theater is it's easier for an actor trained in theater to transition into film than it is for an actor just trained in film to transition into theater and i think like being able to create a character you know from start to finish for two hours straight it's a muscle like that's a that's that's a spiritual muscle you know and if you train that i think it's easier stepping into the world of film to be able to um, create that character on the spot there are new challenges of course with the medium of film and um, now zoom right but i mean i don't think you can you can forego any of that in-person training right um I think it's a it's a scam if they're saying that they can still get the same quality of training and produce the same level of work. At that point, you might as well just take like a master class or something instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not learn from like Helen Mirren, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I honestly feel like for incoming actors, like if online stuff is all that they're offering you, don't do it give yourself like a year off or something like go write or do like do like yeah go go join a master class <laughs> like do whatever else you know write yeah. your own work and try to you know and then when it's available again maybe come back I don't know and if the schools are consistently telling their students that this is fine and this is going to be great just so they're trying just so that they're you know trying to acquire the funds like I don't know if that's ethical, man. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's like, I feel like that's a huge infringement. Then um, education just becomes a business at the end of the day, ultimately. Like it's, what, yeah. what are we really teaching our kids for? Like, I don't know, man. It opens up a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some could argue that it, it already is a <laughs> business. I mean, it already is. Yeah, it's already, I mean, yeah. But I mean to say like, are we... A civilization's values are tested in times of crisis. So, like, if in a moment like this, you're saying, oh, everything's fine and this is great, especially when it comes to art and training artists, and you're saying, okay, like, none of this matters, everything's going to be fine, we're preparing for the future, like, let's commercialize art even more, like, let's, let's just, you know, everything's fine. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. feel like that's antithetical to what art is all about like you're supposed to look at the crap you're faced with oh yeah and present it to the audience <laughs> you know like you can't hide from the lack of a better word like the shit that's in front of you <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i think yeah. it's totally like it just completely like you know uh compromises the integrity 
of that art form. Because art, I mean, at the end of the day, art is learned by doing. Like, we don't learn art by thinking, right? Like, yeah. obviously, there's plenty of people out there who, you know, could watch things and analyze and recreate all yeah. they want. But the aspect of recreating is what gives you mastery and fulfillment mm -hmm. in the actual learning yeah. process. And I mean, the biggest thing about art, too, is the ability to self-examine, the ability oh, yeah. to, like, to be unafraid to, like I said, see the grime and see all the crap, right? Mm, and if yeah. you, if the administrators, the teachers, the professors, the school, the, the institute that's supposed to train you to do that isn't going to do it themselves at a time when that's what's required, yeah. then I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's going <laughs> to lead to anything good. <laughs> I mean, you, you're talking a little bit about how you came back to Singapore super yeah. suddenly, not at all how you imagined it yeah. going. I've heard from mutual friends about how crappy your experience was as you're yeah, figuring was... things out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so initially, I was supposed to go to London to have a nice spring break with my sister, who was oh. studying at London, right? And my mum was supposed to fly in a couple of days after. And we're supposed to have like a nice family reunion in London. Mm. And a couple of days before I was supposed to depart for uh, spring break, right? Trump announced the travel ban to Europe, right? The whole yeah. travel ban thing that happened. Except UK, right? <laughs> and <laughs> so we got on a family like conference call and we were all like, okay, so UK is fine. So should we continue with this plan? <laughs> <laughs> right and initially we were, my sister was really adamant she was like no we gotta continue with the plan she'd planned out all about traveling to Scotland and this and that and, oh. and we were looking forward to it it was gonna be great and then we cut the call and I thought like okay you know what I have a bad feeling about this I think you know what we should just all come back to Singapore I spoke to my dad again and he was like alright I'll book you guys a flight to Singapore like last minute so we cancelled our plans and in less than two days I was supposed to like fly back to Singapore and at that time I was in the middle of applying for the OPT so the OPT for those that don't know it's um, it's the one-year visa that an international student can get to continue staying in the country to work in their field of study hopefully to then acquire a longer-term visa uh, to be able to stay basically mm -hmm. um, so the OPT is sort of like an extension of your student visa uh, but it gives you increased access to work. So you can, you're allowed to now work and earn money, uh, right. but only in the specific field in which you graduated. Um, so anyway, to apply for this, like it's a whole like few months process. Uh, you got to pay like 400 bucks and you got to do this whole process. And then you, it takes another few months once you apply for them to like get back to you. And um, it's a whole thing and if you get rejected like you you're not allowed to stay in the country like you got to leave in less than 60 days wow so anyway i had two days now so i had two days to complete my application right because from what i had heard you had to mail it from an address in the states so the office of international services when i called them up they said uh oh yeah um you've got to mail it from a u.s address you can't send it internationally so it's got to be mailed from within the U.S., your whole application. Um, and they want your signatures and ink and all of that. So I checked with this, this officer at the OIS. I said, like, okay, so 
it's okay, right? If I'm leaving the country, it's okay if I submit my application before or if a friend like submits it on my behalf, if it's completed in a packet from a US mailing address, it's gonna be fine, right? He was like, yeah. So I said, okay, cool. So I prepared everything in two days, got the whole packet ready, right? Um, gave it to my friend, it was all signed and everything. Um, and the thing is, you have to request a a I-20 form. So I-20 is another form. Uh, it's a, it's like your visa status and all that. And um, I'm not going to go into details, but you got to request a new version of that, an OPT I-20. It takes a week for, for it to be ready by the Office of International Services. So that was the only thing missing in my packet. So I had to tell my friend, like, okay, collect it on my behalf. I've, I'm going to... And this was during spring break, so I couldn't submit it right before spring break because seven days would have meant, like, it wouldn't have been open. And so, like, it will be delayed. And if it gotten delayed, the thing is, once you're, uh, once that I-20 is issued, the date of issue, yeah. you have 30 days from that date of issue for that application to reach USCIS, okay? So this is another catch that I learned within those two days. That, so let me explain that again, right? <laughs> you have to, you have to first of all apply for this new I-20 form, okay? This I-20 yeah. allows you to travel um, on that visa. Okay, so when you want to apply for this new I-20 form, it takes a week for it to be ready. Yeah. Once it's ready and it's issued, you have 30 days from that date of issue for your entire application to reach USCIS. Okay. So what I realized was if I had, if I had put that form in immediately, right, requested for that form immediately, it would have been in the middle of spring break that it would have been issued. Mm -hmm. But... I wouldn't have been able to collect it because it's spring break. I wouldn't be there and my friends wouldn't be there and I, it would have been delayed another additional week. So by the time my friend mails it, I would only have two or three weeks for it to reach USCIS and not Which be rejected. Impossible. Right? Which is probably impossible in normal circumstances, let alone during a pandemic. Oh, yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so I had to strategically, first of all, request this form two weeks later, right? And sign on my other form right, prematurely two weeks later so that when it was all compiled together, it would be signed right after I got my form and all of that. And I planned all that out. My friend was like, all right, we'll mail it in. Now I return to Singapore, right? I request all of this, all these forms. And now the officer's telling me, oh, no, you have to be in the US when you're applying for this. Oh you can't be out of the country because then they'll have a record that you're out of the country and, and they don't give the visas to those that are out. Like, you have to be in the U.S. And I said, well, why didn't you guys tell me this earlier? Because when I first called you, you told me something else. You know, the, the other off, like advisor or whatever, like, he told me it was fine if I was going to leave, right? Yeah. So for another week or so, there was there were those confusions. And anyway, that took a while and it was a lot of back and forth with OIS. And um, eventually, like another advisor stepped in and she was giving me contradictory like like um, explanations. Like she was saying, oh, no, it's fine as long as your friend mails it. So she said the same thing that the other advisor had said earlier. And then another one came on and he was, he he didn't have the other email chains that this other advisor had. And oh so he God. was like, like it was, 
first of all, terrible communication, <laughs> terrible service. Terrible they bureaucracy. Clearly, like, bureaucracy, but also, like, I understand, like, it's a pandemic. They probably weren't at work immediately. Like, everything was shut down. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. Everyone's trying to struggle and make things work. But, yes, it was very confusing and stress-inducing at that time because it was like, <laughs> should I even apply for this or not? Because, like, 400 bucks I have to pay just so that it gets mailed and then gets rejected. Like, it was... <laughs> Like, what's the point, right? Yeah. Um, so, after a while, eventually, I think they said, like, okay, you're you're able to mail it, but they need, like, your handwritten signatures. And so I had gotten that earlier, but when my friend tried to mail it, it was, like, during the lockdown. So the mail delivery, like, the mail service wasn't working. Everything was shut. So no oh, one shit. came to... Like, he couldn't leave his building, and so the building had their own, like, mailing service, but the the they didn't come to pick it up. So this happened for a few days, till, a, till it came to a point where there was only a week or so left from that deadline. And so collectively, me and my friend, he was also submitting his application, we all decided, like, okay, you know what, we're going to make a new application because this one's clearly going to get rejected, yeah. right? So we had to start the process over. We had to request for another I-20 form. Oh, my God. Which is going to take another seven days, right? <laughs> and we repeated the process over, and which meant I had to prepare new forms, right? My original forms were, were waste. I had to start all over. So that required me to, like, fill it up online and get my friend to print it out and me, like, scanning my signature and sending it over and printing it out, like... Like, it was a mess. Still, you know, I mean, we managed to get it in. USCI has gotten the applications, but we haven't heard back. So no idea if that's going to be accepted or rejected. Dang. Um, one of my friend's visas got rejected, so we have no idea. And then, you know, now Trump was quoted saying he's going after, like, the international student visas. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether it's going to go through or not, so... And now looking at the situation America is in, too, I mean, as an international student, you don't even know whether you want the visa. I've been hearing that, actually. <laughs> a couple of, I was talking with my cousin today, and she was like, yeah, like, there's a huge assumption or, like, this thing between uh, international students that people might not even want to come back, um, given yeah, how I mean, everything's going. I mean, not that, you know, of course, uh, if we could, we would. Yeah. Right. I mean, as an actor and as a, you know, as a filmmaker, actor, like the best place to be is L.A., of course. Mm -hmm. Right. You want to be there. You want to you want to grow your career there. But I don't know, man. I don't know if see the other thing as an actor on the OPT, even if I get it right, even if I get this one year visa is it's it's there are a lot of barriers to entry. Yeah. um, Because to get the big like any of the meaty big stuff right the breakthrough opportunities let's say you know a studio film or a tv show mm-hmm. um, usually that's sag right so you either have to be a sag actor or you need to have like a good team right a good yeah. agent manager team that will get you into the rooms for those auditions and even if you get that team when it comes to especially tv yeah. Like, they want you to have a long-term visa. And that's what I've heard. Like, if you only have a one-year visa, the OPT, that's hard for them to to accept because they want someone who possibly could be with them for multiple seasons should the show 
should a new show kick off, right? If you're going to have like three seasons, four seasons, five seasons, you need an actor for three, four, five years. Right. And an actor that only has a year-long visa, it's a gamble. And it puts a lot of pressure on the studios and the TV studios to, to try to get that visa for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that can happen. I mean, they can get the visas for you, but that's like one in a million chance that they really want you so bad that they can't just replace you. You know, it's so much easier right, to just yeah. replace the actor. Right? Um, so, I mean, there's there are already those hurdles to try to get past, to be able to do enough work in that year to be able to secure a longer-term artist visa, the O-1 visa, mm-hmm. right? Let alone during a pandemic. And now what seems to be the brink of a civil war you know what i'm saying like i mean uh, it's it's an important time to be an artist but as an international artist i don't know if doing the opt in this one year is even the best move you want you need to pay rent you need to struggle against competition that's already there and possibly a scenario of a year long where shoots don't even go back to normal let alone for new actors right i mean they're probably i'd imagine like veterans getting back to work you know because they probably already had stuff planned but new projects you know non-sag projects or whatever are gonna take a while to get you know really start up again um so i don't know whether even if i get it whether a year of doing that would be financially or practically worth it in the end it's it's a it's a it's a gamble there's just so many like hurdles in between it's it's yeah. really crazy to think because you know you just spent four four years you know dedicated yeah. to learning this craft um do you know you're ready to go and do you have any <laughs> idea what you would do instead instead of coming back i mean i am trying to start things here in singapore but it's also tough because you know of course, singapore isn't a market for entertainment in the way LA is it's Mm -hmm. no way near that right but at the same time like we are also you know struggling with the pandemic but of course things are starting to open up shooting has started again but it's it's the sort of thing where you know I'm still considered a fresh graduate if anything Mm -hmm. I need a I need to get a new team here and here you know it's not it's not as developed as the US in the sense that there aren't extensive agent manager teams mm-hmm. um, here that I know of at least there are agents uh, but there are only a few and I am planning to send my materials to them eventually once I you know like I said I'm updating my reel trying to get photos and done and all of that I'm trying to set up a whole package before I send it out but there are agents that can you know uh, get you work here and it's not impossible but things are slowly starting up I had like theater opportunities lined up actually but they've all gotten postponed oh dang um so like a play that i was supposed to be in in october yeah um is now pushed to like may uh, to march 2021 oh wow so you know it's uh so i mean that's gonna happen i also auditioned for another theater show that i was pretty confident that i would i would land it's just that that whole production's been postponed indefinitely for now so they're not even making casting decisions um that, I mean, that makes sense. So, you know, you know, they can't. Yeah, it makes sense, know but you know, it, but that's still kind of scary. As a, as an actor starting your career off, it's sort of like, well, what do you do? You know. Yeah. The best thing I feel I can do at this moment is really just 
prepare my own materials, prepare myself, you know, do my own like writing, self development, like you know, as an actor, like you observe life, so yeah, 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 you do that, you know, and stay sane while you're. I'm at it. lucky in the sense and privileged in the sense that my family is willing to support me, so I mm-hmm. I don't have the burden or pressure immediately to 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 you know financially be independent right now like i yeah. can stay with my parents <laughs> food's made at home you know just for a year if 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 anything if i need to i can suck it up and and be grateful for that and yeah not start my career t- <laughs> t- <laughs> till it's till it happens you know i mean but i'm trying to see what else i can do on the side and mm-hmm. any other remote jobs if anything that i could be qualified for i mean i'm also in touch with a film producer here who's also i guess trying to help me out he's he's sort of guiding me in in terms of my materials and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that uh he's a veteran film producer that set up all of what singapore's film industry is is it's been pioneered a lot by him and his works um so that's cool i'm learning learning a lot from him that's fun um but yeah it's tough love you know it's the sort of thing where you've got a degree in your hands and you speak to him and you still feel like an idiot <laughs> you still feel oh, like man. that kid trying to make it oh you yeah know, um, oh yeah and it's 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 humbling it's humbling to 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 learn from him and spend this time really growing uh trying your best to to, to prepare for a world when it does go back to a semblance of normal right yeah I, I I'm interested to see how that the semblance of normal is affected going forward too. I'm hoping that hoping yeah. that it means a little bit more, you know, um, inclusivity on film sets and um, in the world of art. Yeah. Um, and I think in general, just people caring about other people. Like, yeah, could we just start doing that? <laughs> yeah, no, for real though. I was literally thinking like, like, <laughs> em- like I just wish people could be a little bit more empathetic others yeah this time i genuinely think 2020 is like a cosmic you know you could call it divine or whatever like it's supposed to happen this whole yeah. all of the stuff that's happening like it is i mean coronavirus has brought out the ugly in every community every single one every single global like nation or whatever like it's brought out the secret underbelly oh right yeah. that we've all been like living with and not really confronting yeah. And now, as a nation, as people, we're forced to see these things and confront these things yeah. and make a choice whether we're going to sweep it under the rug again or are we going to actually deal with it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, no, it's no surprise to me that America is the one that's so... It's exploding so in such a volatile fashion because this stuff's been sweeped under the rug for 400 over years. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it's time we transcend that we heal from that and or at least start healing from that yeah. like make concrete changes that will not let that be a thing anymore it's hard but like it's got to be done eventually or or we'll just eat ourselves up you know oh yeah the snake with its tail in its mouth <laughs> i genuinely think that you know there's a lot in coronavirus or in this whole pandemic situation that has kind of undermined the the beliefs and notions about basic capitalism and like yeah this as a system like you know all the weaknesses that we keep hearing about from politicians and from um, are at the forefront <laughs> absolutely they're right there you know healthcare is biggest issue right like first yeah. and foremost um 
Dude, I never understood the healthcare system in America, man. Like, <laughs> like, like, how could you? I saw a documentary once. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but like, there was a scene of this lady literally saying like she had high blood pressure and she had diabetes, but she had to choose which medicines to take because she couldn't afford both. Yeah, like, that's messed up, man. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bizarre because even like, even you know, in a frankly i've grown up pretty yeah comfortable privileged right um yeah and even in a household like mine we think twice about like all right is this something we really need to go to the doctor for is this like we can just yeah. like take care of it home right like it's not a big deal um yeah. that's like the mindset that's rubbed in from a young age yeah. so it's like you know it's it's very very bizarre and then you know that's just my family i can only imagine families who are you know that are not well to do yeah yeah not as well to do not as privileged and deal with even more severe issues it's like you have to choose the right to live versus whether your family will have money yeah that's ridiculous it shouldn't even be like that like that makes no sense yeah and i mean the news like stuff like jeff bezos making like billion like 35 billion dollars off of the pandemic like like what like I, I just think that a system that can benefit the few who are already privileged at a time of crisis yeah. is a broken system, man. Like, oh, that yeah. that needs serious reevaluations. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, it's it's showing. You know, it's shown um, just a system where people's basic needs aren't met. You know, like, even in the beginning, you know, even something as simple as toilet paper being ransacked from all the stores. Oh, God, yeah. It didn't make any sense frankly like it's just a stupid move but it's really interesting that like under such a system people are their worst when at times when we should probably try and be our best um and i think that you know on one hand it might be human nature and i think someone like thomas hobbs would argue that it is human nature but (laughs) i think personally um that, that it's a product of the system under which we're raised and like if we're raised under a system where everything is competition it, it's not it treated it like that yeah people treat it like yeah. that I, i'm curious as to how discourse about this kind of stuff has been in singapore i was talking to a friend of mine she was saying that you know in singapore it's really bizarre because the protests that are happening here they're sparking conversation about racism <laughs> in singapore and in other countries yeah. as well singapore is a multicultural multiracial society right you've got like 70 percent ethnically chinese right about and this is don't quote me exactly in the percentage but it's about about there about 70 something percent chinese i think about 20 something percent ethnic malays who are the like, indigenous yeah. malays um and about nine percent of indians out of which like most are south indians tamil speaking mm-hmm. um and a few minority within that group north indians like me speaking who speak hindi as a second language right um, or any other indian language uh, and then you have a smaller, like about one percent or so, Eurasians. Um, so we are ethnically diverse, but yeah, there's always been talk in our history, you know, about racial harmony, um, and we've not had any of the history that America has had with respect to like slavery or any of that, right? We've we've not had that sort of brutal race relations or history uh, in our in our in our past, but. But the thing is, we're all we're a country based on migrants, right? Uh, <laughs> built on on 
you know, immigration in that sense. Um, but we had like racial riots in our past, and I guess that sort of really created a sense of anxiety because we are a country with no natural resources. We have to depend on our people to be able to survive. So if our yeah. people start fighting, then the country is going to be broken like that. Like like you know, there is no future if we can't just maintain a semblance of stability and tolerance at the very least. Let alone harmony. We call it harmony, right. but a lot of times. You know, if it's tolerance or it's just, you know, um, non-violence, you know, right. as long as there's no violence or there's no inciting of racial tension of that sort, we're happy. Okay. <laughs> so that's the context in which we've lived. So there, over the years, especially recently, there have been so many instances where minorities have spoken up about, you know, microaggressions or casual racism or um, experiences like that, you know, that, um, for example, if you're in a group um, uh, at, in the military because all men have to serve in the military right, if you're yeah. in a group uh, there a lot of times you'd have if you're a minority you'll have the experience where the majority of people will start speaking in Mandarin right they just start speaking in Chinese mm -hmm. and you're standing there you're still waiting orders or whatever and you're trying to be part of the conversation but it's in Chinese so if you don't know Chinese you're immediately an outcast right you're an right. outsider those kind of experiences are quite common um, so people are trying to raise awareness to that. We've had instances of blackface where like, you know, um, the thing is it's it's not the same context because it's not done in that vein as like blackface in America would be done, right? So it's not directly comparable, but it's still problematic because we had like an ad, all right, for e-payments. Uh, <laughs> and this one actor who's known for his comedic personality, who is known in the Chinese, at least the majority Chinese community, for his comedic personality and the different characters he takes up. And he, he a lot of times he cross-dresses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He was used for the ad and he was um, in one of the... He, he played the four different races in Singapore, right, in the ad. Um, so he dressed up as a Malay woman and he dressed up as an Indian man and they darkened his skin, uh -huh. right? So that ad became a problem. And so people have been talking about that. You know, an Indian rapper and a duo, like a comedic, satirical rapper duo got involved. And the thing is, the government spoke up about the rap because the rap said stuff like, um, Chinese people always out here fucking it up. Okay? That was their main, the main like, chorus, right? right? They said that and that became such a huge like, thing that the government stepped in and were like, you know, we're banning this video. Right, but they didn't do wow. it for the ad. I mean, they took the ad back and all of that, but the amount of stern, like the sternness, came towards the video because they said, "Okay, that is inciting racial tension." The ad was done in in good faith, but perhaps executed poorly. Right. Okay, so <laughs> you can understand where we are. You know? We're trying to 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 juggle like this this very fragile thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when all of this stuff is happening in America, a lot of people here are speaking up in terms of Black Lives Matter and, and, and all of that because we love black culture, right? A lot of music and movies and, and personalities like, you know, from America are respected yeah. here, right? Culture is respected here. So a lot of times we react to American culture, American politics, American, you know, we, there is an idealization perhaps of the West. Um, and rightly so, we are speaking up and saying Black Lives Matter and all that. But there is discussion at the same time of people saying like, okay, you're saying Black Lives Matter, but why are, do you not treat ethnic minorities in your own country mm. 
with, you know, why are there still jokes about our skin color? Why are there still, you know, why is that all a thing at all? Right. Right. Um, so there are people are starting to talk about those things. There are memes popping up about those things. <laughs> memes, you know, the, the language of memes, revolutionaries. The language of revolutionaries. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you know, I'm seriously though. Like, honestly, a meme can pack so much into just one little picture. Like, oh yeah, it's smart. I think like, memes smart. are an art form. Frankly. It is. I think. I think so too. It's a. It's an art form. We'll look back and be like, wow, like, that's something. But anyway, yeah. So people are talking about these things and. The other, the other thing that simultaneously has happened in Singapore is the, the, the COVID-19 situation initially had stabilized. You know, mm-hmm. we had kind of got it under control and we didn't close our economy. We like we had like people, uh, the government had told people, like, OK, wear your masks, right. um, you know, and wash your hands and all of that. And and the situation had kind of stabilized. But what happened was we have foreign worker dormitories, right? So foreign mm-hmm. workers who do all our construction work cleaning work, uh, stuff like that, right? Um, They are brought in from China, Bangladesh, India, and they're kept in dormitories that are really packed together. And this was something uh, for years we'd been discussing. I mean, they're paid, a lot of times they're exploited by companies and contractors. They're forced into uh, terrible contracts and they have to like pay a fee to come over here thinking they're going to get a better life, but then they spend their years working trying to pay back that that debt yeah. um, and they only earn a little bit of money for their family back home like that's been an issue for years right and now what happened is <laughs> the some contractor got the virus and spread it to some of the workers oh, and then it started spreading like wildfire so our if you look at Singapore's coronavirus numbers they started spiking right. but they started spiking only within that community so Singapore was quick to act. They cordoned off those communities. They blocked them off. They started providing them food and all of that and did like intense contact tracing. Um, and they, they've been given medical treatment. And, and so the government has been on top of it. But the thing is, there's a lot of discussion. Like, why did the government not see this, this sitting duck? You know, like this was bound to happen. Oh, yeah. Right. So why did why was that neglected, first of all? And second of all, there's a huge community that's blaming the foreign workers for (laughs) for the spread of the virus. So they're bringing it in, not bringing it in. But the fact that it's spreading, they're like, oh, it's not because the 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 living facilities like the living conditions are so cramped and it's not because of that it's because of their hygiene their personal hygiene oh man it's messed up right so there 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 are people in the community i wouldn't say it's a majority but there are people a very vocal group of people (laughs) who say stuff like that you know who who have equated for generations darker skin with dirty um, so all these workers coming in from Bangladesh and India who are much darker skinned. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they work long hours in the sun and the heat. Of course, they're going to be sweating. Of course, right, they're yeah. going to stink. That's how right? so, works too. Yeah, right. So like, I mean, over the years, whenever, you know, people would come in contact with a foreign worker, there would be a bunch of people who would always say like, oh, all these Banglas are so smelly, uh. you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, or they're so smelly. They're so dirty those kind of impressions were built over the years and now when the virus is spreading it's so easy it's so easy to attach that fact to that bias 
yeah. right? And say it's because they are dirty, it's because they eat with their hands, it's because they share food, right? It's because of all of that that the virus is spreading there. Yeah. And I'll concede, maybe, yeah, if they still share food or whatnot, sure, that's going to add to the spread of the virus. But bigger than that, like if you're living 10 people in a room, you're just speaking to each other is going to like cause the virus to spread. So oh, yeah. I don't think it's anything to do with hygiene, let alone <laughs> as much as it is really with the system, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so now it's brought up a lot of talks about foreign workers and treating them with respect and, and dignity and um, and not to be racist towards them. And so the government is, has been quick to act against. See, that's the thing about our government is that they're, they're, they, they do get on top of things. They do respond and they do do good things for the community, you know, but they're, yeah. but at the same time, they're, they're a little paternalistic, right? They, they allow change for when they feel a society is ready. You know, they, mm. they do that. And they try to preserve the pragmatic reality of our lives in that sense. So they do stuff for the pragmatic continuation of Singaporean life, um, which has its benefits because we have uh, systems that work for us, right? Um, Financially, at least. You know, I mean, they've taken out so much from their reserves to support people during this time. So it's a tough time, but I think we're pulling through better than a lot of other countries are. Yeah. so it's there, there are good things about our government but at the same time like you know there are things where like I mean the prime minister's wife also spoke up about it and, and, and it seemed like she had subtly like you can look out the Facebook post by Ho Ching I mean she said like it's something to do with their hygiene or their cultural practices that they're trying to let them continue in the dorms the way they socialize the way they eat the way they you know and I feel like when you speak like that it still is like it's absolutely still like this because it's like the cultural practices are just a way of sugarcoating like this is how they have to live at the moment this is like right their way of living and so they're trying to justify keeping the low cost housing system for these workers and these workers are housed in dormitories that are really clustered and yeah trying they and i remember like about five ten years ago there was a whole debate about building a new dormitory or something and a lot of people started using the hashtag I don't think it was, I don't even think it was a hashtag at that point I don't know but it was this phrase like not on my not in my backyard right and there was a whole debate about like they didn't want foreign workers to be staying near their communities right and this was a whole debate and so you know and at that time it wasn't as a controversial debate it was just like yeah nobody wants them to be here like put them somewhere else right, right. Yeah, and that yeah, was yeah. considered normal like that was fine right and now because there's so much pressure the government announced like okay they're going to expand housing and they're going to reduce the amount of people per room but since there are so many workers they will have to create new places and again that conversation has been starting to come up and there's a huge group of people that are still saying stuff like Oh, then you'll see all these like they use like slur words, right? Apunenes. Apunenes is a is a word for like dark skinned Indians um, that Chinese people would use to describe them. And they would say stuff like, "Oh, then these apunenes will like be in our be in our neighborhood, and they will like fuck our like maids, and like 
um, sorry for using the language, but like they would like you know, then they were, then would have to deal with pregnant domestic helpers, and domestic helpers is another whole segment of society. Like we have a lot of women from Indonesia, from Philippines who mm-hmm. come and work, and and they help out in the house. And yeah. I mean, I have a helper at home, and we treat her as family. But there are a lot of people who don't, and there are a lot of stories of like abuse towards domestic helpers, and like. You know, people treat them like they're servants or they're slaves, which is kind of messed up. Yeah. Right? So that's also happening side by side, right? And so now they're bringing the two together and they're saying like, oh, you know, then we'll have to deal with pregnant uh, maids because they'll start dating the foreign workers in oh, our communities. God. And I mean, like, I don't know. It's like, yeah. So all that debate is happening, discussions happening. And it's it's revealed a lot about Singapore because every day we get an update. Mm-hmm. about the number of cases right yeah. and they're divided in that way they're divided in a way where it says like these many cases are in the dormitories these many cases within the community right mm-hmm. and within the community they'll do a parenthesis and say these many Singaporeans these many work pass holders and so on right so so that people don't panic because the number of Singaporeans getting infected are still very small yeah right but the foreign workers it's like 400 500 it was it went up to like about 800 a day wow it's basically a death right. sentence if you're living in one of those dormitories you're yeah like you just have told. to yeah the good thing though lucky the good thing is that they're still getting good medical attention mm-hmm. our government has not deprived them of any and our medical like healthcare system is one of the best in the world in that sense like we have one of the best facilities so i mean there was a foreign worker who was in the icu for 25 days and then he recovered uh, and got better so I mean, at least we're yeah. we're taking care of them, you know. Yeah. This shouldn't have happened, but at least we're taking care of them. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I mean, that's more than but, I think the U.S. can say for some of the U.S.'s <laughs> racial injustice. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So like, the thing is, though, you know, now it's starting a lot of these conversations, and a lot of people in my generation, at least, like all of us, like we we grew up in a time where there was the internet. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of... We were heavily influenced by Western media. Right? right. And in that sense, a bit of identity politics and political correctness and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also in a society that's heavily conservative right. still. Right. Uh, at least our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation are still very heavily conservative. Legally, for example, like homosexuality is still not accepted. Right. Uh, legally, it's in the law that you know, uh, sex between men is criminalized. Um, stuff like that still exists in our society. So, like our generation is the one here in Singapore trying to like push for change. Yeah. But we're also not super liberal leftists. There are people, of course, radical right. leftists or whatever you call them. But, but I guess it's more tempered here, even in my generation. Mm-hmm. But there is still a drive. I feel, at least in my social circles. <laughs> And I mean that's some that's I, I got to put a caveat there because my social circles are a lot of artists, a lot of <laughs> <laughs> right um, artists tend to be tend to be liberal. liberal, yeah, right. So so I can't say I can't speak for everyone, but we are trying to push for a more inclusive, accepting society um, here. Yeah. And the thing it's it's it, when it comes to stuff like that's happening in America, you know, with you know with George Floyd and and all of these protests and when you want to bring up the topics about in our country up like it's very easy for 
the Chinese majority to dismiss it and say, of course, it's not equal to that. Yeah. No one's dying on our streets. And that's true. The police don't kill anybody like that here. Yeah. Although we still have the death sentence, the death penalty. And a lot of minority men are actually put to death because they possess drugs for drug possession. Oh, wow. Death? And a lot of... T- oh, wow. Yeah, we, we have the death sentence for drugs. So if you possess like even like, I think 500 grams of marijuana, you, you're, you're dead. Wow. Um, it's bizarre. And then it's even smaller amounts for bigger drugs. So it's, it's we're very strict with when it comes to drugs. But the thing is, uh, disproportionately though, you know, like a lot of minority individuals are in prison or are on death row simply because they're poorer and they are somehow forced into drug trafficking businesses. And they aren't, they aren't the people who are like, this is a, a little digression, but they aren't the yeah. ones that are like supplying the drugs. They're the w- ones that are like, transporting them right or mm. or you know trafficking them in in that sense like the big drug lords or whatever are still not caught right but these right. are the pawns these are the pawns that are used in the bigger drug trade that if they get caught they're expendable right so they, right. they're killed that's still happening so wow. like you know like sometimes you'd hear in like independent news sources not even on the national newspapers or whatever you'd hear in independent news sources like this friday morning at 6 a.m so and so was executed at changi prison um and we still do death by hanging so like oh brutal right so like that's still happening in our backyard um but okay yes police don't kill people on the streets by the virtue of the skin color police don't even kill on the streets let alone right we are a city state that heavily depends on surveillance Mm -hmm. and heavily depends on the police and trust the police so much so that like if you google my name and you look me up like i was involved in 2017 i went to an audition uh, for a movie and it was a big franchise and they told me to be more indian okay in the audition and so i wrote about it a facebook post reflecting on it um, again to do with race and to do with representation and to do with casual racism stuff like saying something like a Chinese direct casting director saying be more Indian to an Indian actor yeah with a script that is Singaporean and not really Indian in its essence like I mean I wrote about it yeah. but anyway that thing became so viral people were talking about it and all of that and, and there were a lot of people telling me to go home and get out of Singapore go back to India and all of this you know and there's a lot of racial backlash too Mm-hmm. So much so that some people reported me to the police. For a Facebook post. Bro. Yeah, for a Facebook post. <laughs> what? That's how much that's how much our society depends on the police, bro. Wow. Like because they somehow lost a police report that my Facebook post was inciting racial tension. And we have a sedition act in right. our legal system, right? It's the sedition act says that if any person or group um intentionally causes racial tension or distress can be charged under the sedition act and be put in prison and so on yeah right so i guess some people thought it was okay to report me to the police for a facebook post calling out racism or not racism but like casual instances of racism or microaggressions and racial stereotyping in film and tv and whatnot calling that stuff out as an example of inciting racial tension, right? Stirring wow. the boat, rocking the ship, right? So, yeah. like, that's the kind of dependence we have upon the police. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, the police... I went 
to get in like interviewed by the police right and the police was literally like it was a chinese guy he was a nice guy he was straight up he was like look you did nothing wrong okay we've read your facebook post like you've not done nothing wrong but we have to complete a statement so i need to ask you a few questions <laughs> so that was just me and the police like just sitting down there and like okay and and he said he was like i'll just let you know like just be more careful about what you post um and how you word your post cuz sometimes people can go you know <laughs> so he was trying to advise me and he told me he was like he was like if anyone else like threatens you or what not and if you feel like you're in danger please like reach out to us like we'll yeah. help you out so so i mean the police seems nice you know like i mean at least here <laughs> in yeah. singapore the, right? i mean it also comes from a basic fundamental understanding of like i oh, like helping you out like oh you're in a tough situation like how what can i do to help you out like even yeah. unwarranted advice you know, is just helping so out so i get it like you can't compare america to singapore in that sense you can't yeah police brutality the, the relationship people have with the police and with different races in america cannot be directly implanted to singapore so i get right. it there are a lot of people who very easily say like okay so then it's not the same like we have a culture of respect we our friends just take it as jokes we we joke about each other's races all the time you call us chinese having small dicks too we don't we don't get upset about it like that's what they say literally that's what they say <laughs> right like we we just joke and laugh it off so if i call you smelly and hairy for once what's the big deal right well. so <laughs> now that's the thing right so it's so ingrained in our culture in that sense growing up right where we yeah. i mean in schools for example i remember we'd have racial harmony day where we'll be encouraged to wear our traditional outfits to school and bring traditional food to school and we'll do all of that and everyone will enjoy and it'll be fun and so we do that every year so it created a, a yearly sense of like we're all harmonious and we all love each other and it's all great yeah. right and because it was like that and we all saw each other as singaporeans which is good right we never assumed race to be a problem area and so jokes and stuff like that that naturally came about from our human tendencies to associate with tribes right yeah. that naturally came from that were in this gray area right where some of it can be offensive and some of it if you're in your friends group sometimes people think it's okay Yeah. You know? So now it's coming to a point where we're like, okay, well what's okay and what isn't? And a lot of people don't like that conversation because it's like just changing how we used to function. Right, yeah. As a culture, as a Singaporean culture. Yeah. And it's it's problematic because at least for in my experience as an Indian too, like Indian Singaporean like a lot of times I had to play into that in order to be accepted, right? You right. know, as a kid, especially like I had to I had to joke about being Indian or whatever. to be accepted by the chinese majority kids or feel like i'm a part of their group. Oh yeah. And you could say like okay maybe it was my own insecurity speaking. And to a lot of ex- to an, I I also believe a lot of times our perceived judgment about racism or our perceived uh like our outrage a lot of times it stems from the frustration of not having transcended our own insecurities, right? Being reminded right. of our yeah. insecurities. Right? Yeah, it's like if I was completely secure of being in the Indian Singaporean and fully Singaporean, if I fully felt that, right? Then maybe I wouldn't feel as offended if my friend just joked about something. Maybe I'll say like, "Okay, that's poor taste." Right. But yeah. I wouldn't be as offended maybe, right? Maybe my sense of offense comes from the fact that I've been hurt so many times. I've been 
I, I've had that. So I feel like until a society gets to heal, it's it's minorities get to heal from that trauma and from that from that in from those insecurities and be able to f- truly feel accepted. You know, that kind of racial harmony is really a far-fetched idea, right? Um, it's 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 not yeah. really entirely possible until you are able to get there. But to get there, it's it's like a <laughs> it's like a catch-22, right? To get there, you do heal. People need to feel accepted. And then <laughs> to accept people, like, you have to, you know, like, to either Also side heal on some down. level. Yeah. So it, it, it will take a collective effort to change. But the good thing is conversations are happening. People are talking about it. And, 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 and I've also known, like, I've seen a lot of people in my friend circle, especially from when we were younger, like 14, 15 to now. Yeah. A lot of people have grown in that, too. Um, I don't personally face a lot of those instances myself now right the stuff i face is more structural for example like i've had friends who've told me like okay if they want to give tuition right Mm -hmm. there are a lot of times you know parents say like oh we prefer a chinese tutor even if the subject is english or Mm -hmm. mandarin uh, english or like mathematics or whatever right um they still prefer a chinese tutor yeah. Okay, and a lot of people chalk it up to preferences. They're like, "Oh, if my if my daughter is there, I would prefer a female tutor, right? What's wrong with that?" So, I my daughter is Chinese, so I prefer a Chinese tutor. Inherent biases that <laughs> automatically just make their way into how you function. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the thing is we're we're dealing with those kind of like micro level stuff, which also requires a lot of nuance to understand and and a lot of effort on the part of the majority to be anti-racist, right? And to really dig deep and and break these like these systems of thinking yeah right these yeah. are small level by i mean when you talk about stuff that's happening in america i mean that's that's you can take concrete action with respect that's why there's so much rage because why hasn't shit even been done yeah right you know, it's been 40 right? years plus exact 400 plus years since, of like like mutation I mean, after just mutation and social because over there the rage structures. is centered around the fact that people are dying yeah people are still dying at the hands of the police right so i mean that is that is brutal racism right and 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 that requires a collective movement of that energy that you know and when you bring that same intensity here which i you know you need it's just that a lot it's so easy for that community that needs to change to dismiss it and just say it like oh these are these are just social justice warriors these are just the radical leftists or whatever or you know it's so easy for them to dismiss it yeah because there is no legitimate or what seems to be leg- legitimate reason for outrage right it's it's interesting cuz like i think i think the same mindset from the defendant the f- defending party here like you know, there's lots of um, obviously groups that are not in support of the movements going on right now. And, you know, I've yeah. heard a lot from I don't know if you've been keeping on Instagram or anything like that. But like there's lots of posts with, within South Asian communities and Asian communities. About oh, God, yeah. People like, you know, their parents don't necessarily agree. Their parents are like, no, like, you know, I'm norm- like I'm treated normally that like racism must not exist. And like <laughs> stuff like that. That's like it, it's, yes, it's really yes. interesting to me because like. For those who experience it and for those who um, are constantly ingrained in this world, it's very easy to look at it as like black and white. Yes, like it is a moral extremity. It is that people are dying. We need to take direct action. If you don't take action, you're complicit. Whereas like there's a lot, large population across the world um, 
and you know we're seeing this in a lot of countries now where it is very much like and i mean i'll tell you honestly like it's been difficult being an international student currently outside of america yeah having to see america descend into this and see a lot of my friends i mean my social media my instagram feed is filled right constantly yeah. with black lives matter and, and 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 which is great i think it's it's important and i think it's i support the movement i uh, but it's hard in the sense that as someone who's not american yeah right and who's who whose audience on social media is also heavily singaporean yeah right uh, finding the balance where I can be vocal enough for my American friends in support of them, do my part, yeah, right, uh, and not seem silent, right, yeah. and not make it such that it's only performative for myself, right, <laughs> that it's so that it's it's actually real and legitimate. But at the same time, for my Singaporean audience and my Singaporean friends, not come across as heavily invested in foreign affairs mm-hmm. right because this is not singaporeans <laughs> this is this is a human rights issue yes yes right it's not as like a, a human Singapore issue but it's not a singapore issue right so there are a lot of people especially in my industry too that are conservative right a little yeah. bit and a lot of times in singapore in an asian society like singapore like if you're so vocal on social media if you're so vocal about anything you're sometimes seen as off-putting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that, and that, and 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 that's a that's a trait of any conservative society. I mean, you can go to the extreme, go to China. Anything you say can oh, yeah. be used against you, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, now Hong in Hong Kong, they're not allowing any sort of you know disrespect towards the Chinese anthem, right, uh, or the Chinese flag or whatever, right? Yeah. So like, I mean, that's in Hong Kong. So like. In Singapore, it's more like it's a very hierarchical society. Yeah. Right? So if you're starting off, if you're a fresh graduate, if you're an aspiring whatever, yeah, and you say a lot of these things, like for example, when I did, when I said, when I brought out about the racism and I spoke about that, mm-hmm. one of the other industry veterans is an actor. She has her own talent agency company. She reached out to me, you know, and we spoke. We met and we spoke. But what she told me was, Shri. Why do you have to post stuff like that? What you're saying is right. What you want to fight for is right. But why do you have to make a post? You know, that's how they approach it, right? And she's much older than me. So, of course, I listen, right? And she said, like, why do you need to do that? Are you an advocate or are you an artist? Choose one first. That's a, it, it's a very, like, cultured way, yeah, of looking it's at it. It's a culture way. It's like if you just post and you just become an advocate, you're yeah. an advocate, First, you're an advocate first. No one's going to pay attention from her point. This is her argument. And I, on some level, see the value in it. Um, and it's hard to push the same argument to Americans because you're living in a society where everything's coming to a to like a singularity. You, you guys are experiencing a moment in time that's going to go down in history books. Like you have oh, yeah. to break through this and change so everyone has to be an advocate there's no time to be an artist anymore you know that's the situation so when you're a student who studied abroad and made connections in america and is and loves america in that sense and and has an attachment to it but at the same time is from a culture and from a home where it's so hierarchical and, and and everything is scrutinized to that degree it's very difficult to find 
the right footing <laughs> to <laughs> to please not please both sides but like do yeah. what is right right yeah. do what is right and the question of what is right becomes a very gray area it is right to speak up it is right to fight for all of these things and i want to do that and i've done it in my capacity but i yeah. haven't i can say for a fact that i haven't done it in the same with the same vocal energy and the same antagonism and 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 and, and intensity that my black peers have i yeah. haven't I yeah. haven't been that strong of an ally, and that's true, right? Uh, but I've been vocal enough, I feel, to raise a little bit of conversation here. Yeah. And I have to realize that I am a human first, so that's important for me to speak up. So I'm doing that, Yeah. right? But at the same time, after being a human, I am Singaporean first. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm in Singapore, and my future yeah. is in Singapore in the moment. So like... I at the same time need to need to juggle that right. So yeah. what what she told me was, if you really if your end goal is to be an artist, then leave the advocacy for later. Interesting. <laughs> Let your art speak for itself, right? Mm-hmm. Until you are respected for your art no one's going to listen to your advocacy. Or even if they do, they're just going to see you, at least in this society, just see you as someone who's just trying to stir the pot or just trying to gain five seconds of fame, right? right. Or just someone who's um, thinks he's very important. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to dismiss you because you have nothing credible about you yet. Yeah. And I get that. You know, and maybe at least maybe in American society, the the way people see it is different, or at least there are enough liberals, or there there enough there's enough of a liberal society where your advocacy is seen as as worthwhile. Yeah. Enough so that you would advance in whatever you're doing, right? You will start to make an impact. Whereas here, it just shoots you in the foot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've wondered whether that Facebook post has reduce my chances of a successful career back home. Yeah. You know, which it shouldn't be the case, but... But it very well might be, yeah. It might be, right? Who knows? So it's like, it's just the, it's just the fact that there are different contexts in different countries. Yeah. And I mean, I've also thought about this, like, when I bring this next point up, like, this is not to say that what's happening in America is not important. I think it's very important. But what I'm saying is like, a black man dies at the hands of the police yet again, and there's outrage, rightly so, rightly so, right? There are pictures of Palestinian men dying at the hands of Israeli soldiers every day. Yeah. And yet there's no outrage. There are photos of refugees being murdered across the world. <laughs> there's no outrage. Yeah. You know, like what I'm saying is there is a qualified sense of what we're going to fight for. And... Rightly so, because it's American. When it, when it hits your own country, yeah. when it hits your own identity, it explodes, right? And you can't compare. We can't say that a black man's life or a, Israeli, a, a Palestinian man's life or a refugee's life, you can't categorize. Their life is life, right? Yeah. Life is life. So whatever the systemic issues that are leading to the deaths of all these people ought to be condemned. Equally so, with as much out, as much outrage. If we're really going to look at it in terms of how much your outrage, if if you're going to equate outrage with how much importance we give to an issue, uh-huh. then by that logic, outrage should be given to everything. <laughs> right? Right, right. Every every life that is lost, every life that is lost, there should be. Now, 
the the thing is when it because you know black lives in america this is such an american centric and it's such a huge deep wound in american history oh yeah right rightly so that's why outrage is coming but i think it's also an opportunity to realize after this if once we of course focus on one outrage at a time but what i'm saying is like if if things can really push if things can be pushed to be better in america with this i think america owes it okay america owes it because if this is becoming a global movement if america is has so much weight so much america needs to realize its 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 role in the world right yeah. if it has such a big weight to be able to pull people from korea to be protesting in favor for black lives people in singapore people in all the parts of the world yeah. right then i think america also owes it to the world to 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 have that same level of outrage for for the shit that it it does to the world yeah. frankly oh yeah right? <laughs> i mean most of you know, it's so just you know like it, it's easy for you know america to look at america and be like yeah you know we have our domestic problems but you know <laughs> whatever ignore and it's so easy to to the put the rest of the world to put the rest of the world in this little pocket in the back of your consciousness yeah you know and i mean that's something i experienced you know when i came to america like it felt like a lot of my american friends who grew up in america don't know for them the world is america and yeah. rightly so because opportunities are in america your whole life can be in america and you don't even have to think about the rest of the world because america is in such a privileged position after World War Two. When you grow up in that, like I mean, this is a whole national privilege, not to do with any, you know. I mean, like a level of like you can think of your country as the world, and so does the rest of the world. The rest of the world also thinks about America as a huge, like you know. But yeah. growing up in Singapore, which is, you can fit thirteen Singapores in Los Angeles County. Okay, thirteen Singapores in LA County. Wow. So growing up in Singapore, that's so small. we were constantly reminded of the rest of the world right singapore was so small you were so small right we have no natural resources we have to think of a global economy we have to think of expanding outside like yeah. you know and and making it in the world right and that 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 was deeply rooted in our consciousness local tv local arts was not as supported or when they were they weren't as respected right mm-hmm. uh, so we as an artist as an artist growing up in a country like singapore like there's so much stuff that i'm consciously like growing up with that i don't take for granted yeah. right whereas when i come to america a lot of my fellow artists artists or non artists alike y- you've grown up in a position that's privileged enough to th- to be able to look at your own country as the end all be all yeah um and while that's a great thing to have in your own sense of identity and your own culture and, and it's great to to make that better and keep fighting for that to be better and everything that's happening now is meant to happen that's great but i think it's also important to think about the rest of the world yeah um and there's and i think this is a we're reaching a point where i think because of the pandemic and it's such a, such a global nature right yeah. of it and now this blm movement being something that's globally recognized people are finally on a global scale protesting for it yeah and i want i support this movement i want people to 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 reach a point where where maybe police are defunded you know uh, uh, there's a huge massive cultural change in america in the coming years maybe in this next decade if we can really eradicate racism as a thing it's going to open up the possibilities for such a, a much more cohesive integration of the world i think i just wanted to raise that point because as americans 
um, we have to, to, to open up to that, I think, um, uh, and, and be aware of that, even amidst fighting for change in what we, what we need in our own country. And there's the whole America First movement, and like, yo, like, I don't know, I feel like America has an impact on the world, you can't deny it. So yeah. I feel like it's a little selfish to be like America first and do what is best for America and just disregard the world. Um, and only regard the world when you're going to protect democracies abroad, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it, becomes, it becomes very, like, it's, it's something to reevaluate, I guess, how America functions in the world. But it's hard because now with China and Russia, and how do you do that when there are big powers <laughs> that also want global domination in their own way, Right. Man, like, <laughs> I just hope that the pandemic and all of the th these things that are finally happening that are pushing us to the edge, that are pushing us to a space of frustration, mm -hmm. anxiety, anger, can lead us to a point where we can reflect, yeah, look upon ourselves, make the changes within ourselves first, yeah, to make a better society, and then collectively bring up real policy change. That could hopefully build a better world, man. Yeah. And that brings us back to why we're doing this, right? <laughs> As artists. Oh, yeah. Observing what's happening around us, reflecting upon it, and committing to change. Your thoughts are incredible. Thank you so much for... <laughs> I had a great time, and thanks for having me on board. I look forward to, to hearing And to everyone listening, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of What the Hell is Happening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast service you use. This episode is coming on the heels of a tumultuous series of announcements about international students' visas. Fortunately, their visas are going to continue to be valid as of now, though many international students still live in uncertainty about what exactly they will be doing for the upcoming school year. If you want to engage with the content that you heard, I've included some links to ongoing BLM petitions and calls for action in the show notes at www.akshayravi.com podcast. The fight for racial equality is far from over, and it's on all of us to continue to show support and refuse to let the call die down. Again, you can find petitions and calls for action in the show notes at www.akshayravi.com slash podcast. And as always, please take care of yourself.